0: I'm Lauren, And I'm Donna Grace. Welcome to the Life Rebalance Podcast.
1: Today, Donna and I have the pleasure of talking with wealth psychology expert, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, founder of KBK Wealth Connection and host of the Breaking Money Silence Podcast. Kathleen is an internationally published author and a sought-after keynote speaker, consultant, and coach on the topic of women and wealth and couples and money. Her mission is to empower women, couples, and families, and the advisors who serve them, to shatter money
0: taboos and communicate
1: more effectively about financial matters.
0: Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us today. You didn't meet us, but we met you years ago in your capacity as a speaker. I've seen you present multiple times at investment news conferences for our women's group within our broker-dealer, so we were well acquainted with you and your work. Before we really met in person last year, at a podcasting conference and it was fantastic making your acquaintance there and really getting to know you more. Your work is particularly relevant to us as women. When we talk about breaking money silence, actually a great place to start would be for you maybe to share with us, what is money silence and why is it so important that we're aware of it?
2: Sure. Well, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. I'm excited. And meeting you last year in person was really wonderful. And so um, thank you for the shout out. I didn't know you were in all those audiences, but that (laughs) makes me feel better. So when it comes to money silence, money silence is that uncomfortable feeling that so many of us get when we are talking about finances. And so often when we think about money and financial planning, we think about the dollars and cents, but we don't think too much about the awkward conversations or the feelings that we have, whether they're good or bad. We could feel anxious about talking about money. We could also be excited when we're talking about money, especially if we're getting a raise or something like that. Breaking Money Silence is really about getting men and women, but primarily women, to be able to speak up and talk more about finance and talk about it in a holistic way. So dollars and cents, yes, important, but also how we're feeling about it impacts our behaviors and whether we take care of ourselves. So breaking the money silence and that revolution I so loftily launched when I wrote my book is really to encourage people to have more money conversations.
0: I like that you mentioned that it's part of taking care of ourselves because Lauren and I really are of the mind that your financial wellness is part of your overall wellness and well-being. So I love that as a wealth psychologist, you know, you're very much on the same page and that in order to be truly well, dealing with your financial wellness has to be part of it and you have to be able to talk about it.
2: Absolutely. You know, the thing that is interesting to me is, you know, in my own experience, I have been very financially literate and fortunate to be financially literate in my early career because it was in banking and finance. But when I ran into trouble financially, it was the emotional stuff that made it hard to get back on track. And so that's when I really discovered this whole other aspect to money and really the importance of us all doing this work of looking at our relationship with money and talking about it in order to be healthy and wealthy, however you define that.
1: Kathleen, one area that you really focus on and I think is really a source of when you're talking about breaking the money silence, areas that we're uncomfortable with as women, really primarily is around negotiating, we find. And that has been a big focus of your work. And I'd love to hear you talk about why it is you're so passionate about teaching women how to negotiate.
2: Sure. Teaching women to negotiate is so much fun for me. And also I'm passionate about it because I came from a place of being raised that you don't negotiate your fees, that you don't ask for more money. That if you ask for a bargain, if you're buying something, or if you ask for a raise, if you're working for someone, that that's rude and just you know socially inappropriate. And so my parents taught me a lot about money. That's why I was financially literate. But that is one of the things that they silently taught me, which was, you better be quiet, you're a woman. It's not too feminine to ask for more money. So early on in my career, and especially when I started my own business, what ended up happening is very unconsciously, I was a big under earner. And so I wouldn't ask for what I was worth in the marketplace. I would accept what anybody was going to pay me and I never push back. And as a result, over the course of a couple of years, I started to get really frustrated and ultimately had to look at my own relationship with money and and why was I so frustrated? It's really nobody else's fault. And so I started to examine my thoughts and beliefs. About talking about money and especially negotiating and identifying what I'm worth in the marketplace and then being able to ask for it. So I think my passion comes from a very personal place in that Mm -hmm. I very much have been there and I've risen above and I'm not going to say it's perfect now, but I'm certainly much more confident. And then on top of that, if you look at my entire career and I've changed directions and pivoted a few times, the thread throughout my entire career is empowering women to use their voice. And again, I just think it's so important for us to be able to speak up in a variety of areas of our lives to take care of ourselves and to role model for the next generations that it's okay for women to have a voice and to speak up and to be heard. Where do you think that comes
0: from? I know you share on your website that 70% of women don't negotiate their salaries, which is obviously going to contribute to the gender wage gap and then eventually to the wealth gap. Do you think like from a psychology standpoint it's because as women we're taught to be pleasing and say thank you and smile, like we're Is it different for women in general, and where does it come from?
2: Well, it's a great question and something I've certainly thought about. First of all, if we look at money silence in general or the taboo against talking about money, almost half of Americans, men and women, struggle to talk about money, and they'd prefer to talk about politics and religion and sex, all these other taboo topics than talk about finance. But then when you look at the subset of women in some surveys, it's as high as 61% of women would rather talk about their own death than talk about money. And so it's certainly higher. And so it got me to thinking, well, why is it higher? And as both of you probably know, and many of the listeners out there, that there's kind of this double-edged sword that we are told that we're supposed to be financially strong, financially fit. We're supposed to work at being financially intelligent. But when we do, there is a backlash, like that's not feminine or that's not nice. For instance, if you look at a woman who's negotiating her salary, Often when she's using the same tactics that her male counterpart will use, what will end up happening is she'll be viewed as aggressive or heaven forbid, profit motivated, which for a woman is seen as a bad thing. And for a man is just seen as, well, that's what he does. And so that conscious or unconscious gender bias really gets in the way. And I think if you look at some of the stats around female breadwinners, it's something like 40% of female breadwinners who are the primary breadwinners in their family actually downplay their earning status to their friends and family. So there's this shame around earning money and being powerful financially, but at the same time, there's a desire. So I feel like that conflict is internal and it's all through our society. So while it fascinates me, it also frustrates me. And that's where I think teaching women the skills to understand their negotiation mindset, but then also to understand how to be nuanced in their approach because unfortunately as women and I'm only talking about white women right now women of color it's even more complicated and uh, the statistics are even more detrimental or scary that we really just need to figure this out so we can achieve equality for everybody
1: absolutely and I love the work that you're doing to change some of that societal systemic problem and as individuals we don't necessarily we we can all work toward that but when we're talking about the fears that surround the money conversation as individuals, are there common fears that you see? Are there ways that women can overcome those fears or a couple of skills that we can incorporate to be better negotiators and better about talking about money in general?
2: Well, I think the fear is pretty universal or the anxiety. It usually comes up in anxiety, worry, or I'm going to just not deal with this at all. And so no matter how it presents for you, and oh, by the way, if you're somebody where you don't have that problem, awesome. We need more women like you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But I think what, what we need to do is look at what are we so afraid of? And I think it goes back to what Donna was saying, that many of us have been raised to be nice, to put relationships first. In other words, put the other person first and be a caretaker. And to negotiate and take care of yourself in the business world, it isn't nice or mean. It just is a skill that you have to learn. But often, what I hear from my coaching clients or people that I've worked with or trained, it's really this idea that, you know, well, if I ask for more money, then I'm going to lose my job. Or if I ask for more money, you know, my client is going to be really turned off and think I'm greedy. And in fact, And just as a side note, I've heard stories from people who have asked for raises. Young women, this one person comes to mind. She was about 27. She asked for a raise. She did it in a very assertive way. And she actually was called greedy by her HR person. And the HR person was a woman. And so it's complicated. But I think in terms of embracing your fear and figuring out how to conquer it, I think the first thing is just acknowledge whatever you're feeling and don't judge it. Because when we judge our feelings and start feeling bad about our feelings, it just complicates the issue. I don't know if any of you have had that situation where then you're feeling bad that you're feeling bad.
1: Absolutely.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And so part of it is accepting it and being compassionate to yourself and then wondering, what is that about for me? And that's where I take people through an exercise where they start to examine their negotiation mindset. So what are their automatic thoughts and beliefs about negotiation? And often what you can find is either your family history or a personal experience or something that's gone on in your life has influenced you to have a certain thought that triggers that worry and fear. So really the key is then shifting and reframing how you're thinking about it. And then your feelings start to shift and change.
1: Well, as you're describing this, I'm thinking about the fact that really we we view negotiating as this very isolated, we're going to sit down and negotiate something. But I think perhaps to think about it more in terms of every day we're negotiating for ourselves, every day we are trying to change people's perceptions, trying to work on showing our value and what we bring to the table. Is there a balance between working too hard to justify your value versus simply just accepting and believing that you do bring value and having confidence around it?
2: So I think one thing that's really important, and you hit on it, Lauren, uh, is the idea of knowing that what we have to offer is valuable. And so part of what the work is, is not only your money psychology and your negotiation mindset, but really being able to stand in your self-worth and say, I am valuable. And you do hit on a point that I think is so valid. We are negotiating all the time. And women especially, you know, who's going to pick up the milk? Who's going to pick up the kids? Who's going to manage, you know, dropping off Johnny to soccer? I mean, it's a thousand negotiations a day. And all we have to do is take those skills that we already have and then apply them to talking about money. But often what ends up happening is then people get into self-doubt all those thoughts and beliefs they have about what it means to negotiate. And then certainly to find out that there's this unconscious bias can add this other element of, oh no, how am I going to be perceived? What I find is when you are able to stand in your self-worth and you are able to see your value in the workplace and what you're providing and learn the skills to have a money conversation that's calm. And it's about both of you winning, not a conflict or a competition that you end up really being able to negotiate and get some of what you're worth. I think often people go in with the idea that it's a battle or a war that has to be won. That's not the case at all. The best negotiations are both people get something that they want to get, and there's you know a mutual understanding. And so that's how we have to approach it.
0: I am wondering, I know you started, you wrote your book and started on this work over a decade ago. And I'm just wondering if over that timeframe, you've seen the conversation change or if you have seen notable progress in this area in the way women, one, can feel comfortable having conversations and then secondly, being a better advocate for themselves uh, when it comes to negotiating, whether it be for salaries or other benefits or, or whatever it may be in business.
2: Great question. I've actually started my company in 2007. And then I've written several books. So the Breaking Money Silence book was published in 2017, around the same time the podcast started. And so I have seen progress in how we're talking about it. It's not as much progress as I'd like there to be. But when I started really examining this for myself, and then ultimately for the books that I was writing, the education that I was providing for my clients, what I initially came up against was a very cookie-cutter way of looking at negotiation, that there were these hard skills and that's all you kind of looked at. It wasn't effective. We weren't making any progress. Where I think my value is and the value that's come over the course of the past couple of years, and especially the last couple of months, is the idea that people are speaking up. They are using their voice. And I do think It is learning about more than just the numbers. As Lauren said, learning about your self-worth, learning about the money psychology, getting coaching, and also getting the support of other men and women in your life. So I'm a very old Gen Xer and I say that fondly to myself, and I know you too, and you're millennials. And so the millennials and then the next generation or the Gen Zs are doing a better job of engaging in conversations about salaries with each other, which then helps each individual person then walk into their office or if they're starting a business, ask for what they're worth. So I do see progress. I don't see as much as I would like, but I'm hopeful that we can kind of continue to conquer this and eventually if we address the systematic issues, which are big, and then do our individual part, which is learning the skill of negotiation and breaking money silence, that we can have gender parity and then pay parity for everybody.
0: You know, it's interesting when you talk about it as as a generational thing. I'm turning 40, Lauren just turned 40. And even when I look at people 10 years younger than me, it's remarkable in terms of the way they share information. Like we share information differently than people 10 years older than us. So I really do think that this is one of the benefits of social media, of being able to connect with anyone, anywhere, and having so much access. When you have access to more people outside of your immediate circle, you have access to more information and you can go into a situation better prepared and with more perspective. So it is very interesting. It's part of like your work, I think, in opening up the conversation, promoting the conversation and getting people to really think about, like you said, it's not just the numbers, but more the behavioral part of it, how you feel about it. Then kind of pairing that with the connectivity we have through social media has a compounding effect. So I imagine that the work you're doing, you know, kind of like the bamboo shoot thing where the first three years it's all underneath. And then in your four and five, it has exponential growth. This is the sort of work that has the ability to see that kind of growth as, you know, more people talk about it. And then that's shared with more people through social media and stuff like that. So I'm willing to bet that the next five years see exponential growth over what the the conversation has been over the last 10. I hope it does.
2: (laughs) Well, I think so. And I, I am impressed. Like, for instance, to go back to that quick story of the person that was called Greedy when she negotiated her salary. Kills me. Yeah, it was upsetting. And so I was coaching her. And so ultimately she did go back and she did negotiate and got what she needed and handled it in a very professional way. But the one thing she did that I hadn't anticipated, and I think this is the hope for the future, is then when her colleagues went to negotiate their salary, she was coaching them using the tips that I had taught her. So there's this trickle down effect that was really exciting. And I feel like uh, younger men are also very supportive of this as well. And so, yes, if we can all start talking about this and and be more open to these conversations. And what I have found in my work is once I open the door and say I'm comfortable having this money conversation, I have had basically no one say, I don't want to talk to you about this. I mean, they may talk to me about it for two minutes versus two hours, but I really feel if you're open to engaging in the conversation, and other people will be open as well.
1: And Kathleen, that's one of the things I really appreciate that you have done with financial advisors. So Donna and I, in our role with our clients, really need to be having these conversations. And to the point about compounding, it's not just about, is your salary this year equitable to your male counterpart? Because when you compound that over your 30-year career, the disparity and the gap widens tremendously. And women need to recognize and realize it's not just about your salary today. It's about your entire financial future and making sure that we are getting what is equitable and making sure that we're taking care of ourselves. Circling back to that taking care of ourselves point is we really have to be conscientious. And as advisors, I love that you're encouraging us to have those conversations with our clients. So thank you for
2: that. Oh, you're welcome. I actually love the two because when I wrote breaking money silence, it was based on about 10 years of looking around and hearing advisors say, I really want my clients to talk to me about money and the emotional side of money. And then hearing the clients say, well, my advisor doesn't do that. And so really the idea is to see that this is a great opportunity for people to practice with you, to get that coaching with you. And I think the other thing I just want to say in response to that is, you know women live longer than men so we have a longer time frame to financially plan for and one of the things we're talking on my podcast about is breaking money silence on longevity and what that means for women so it's really great that you two are out there doing that work and so approachable with your clients on this topic
0: that's actually becoming a huge focus of or it should be, if it's if it, if it hasn't for some advisors, it should be for advisors at this point is not just retirement planning, but truly longevity planning. Yeah, like Lauren said, it starts, when you think about investing, the money that you put in those early years has the biggest impact because it has the longest time to compound. Well, the same thing happens with your salary. It's where you start. Your starting place matters. It matters for the next job you go to and the job after that, or, or the way you, you negotiate up the pay scale. You know, I was just wondering... Back to your story and what Lauren was talking about when women go in to negotiate, no one hands you a raise because you're doing such a great job. That just doesn't happen. No one's like, wow, the sun is shining on you and we are going to pay you more because we think you deserve more. It's upon us to advocate for ourselves. And Kathleen, please correct me if I'm wrong, but my impression is that when men go in to either apply for a job or go in for a promotion... They're going in, and there is an expectation that they will negotiate for themselves. So the idea that when a woman goes in and does the same, that she's viewed as greedy, I mean, this is just like, it's mind-blowing in a million ways. One, it's clearly wrong when you think about it objectively, but where it was a woman HR professional, it really just uncovers the biases that we all have. Like She probably identifies herself as somewhat of a feminist in a lot of ways, yet still you can be pre-programmed by everything in your upbringing to believe certain things about women. And that is so hard. That's something for us to really have to work against.
2: And I want to let people know that that's certainly an extreme story. I mean, often it's more subtle than that, but yes, it is concerning. I also want to say that, you know, I know we're talking about women today, but you know, I don't want to do a disservice to men. There are men that struggle with negotiation. There are men that have been told that they're greedy. It just happens less. And it's certainly this trend, uh, this expectation that somehow we won't negotiate. And when you look at more recent stats, what you find is women are negotiating now as much as men. We're just not getting the raises as much. So the good news is our behavior is changing and we're asking, and then it's figuring out how to ask effectively and how to keep at it. If someone says no, which you're going to get when you're negotiating, sometimes you're going to get a no, but how do you keep going back as opposed to really just settling for the no? Because you both know being in business and running your own business, there are a lot of times that you are initially rejected, but if it's something that you're passionate about and you believe in yourself, then you just keep going.
0: Well, it's like viewing that no as a roadblock or viewing it as a
2: challenge, right? Yes. Yep so much game on yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's how i feel about it game on and one of the things that's kind of crazy is that uh, over time i have actually found negotiation and the conversations to be fun and i know some people out there will be like what but once you are you're not so defensive and you're just like this is my value and they say well this is what we can afford and you have that back and forth now i have it in the context of being a consultant but so i'm negotiating all the time my worth and what i find is when you approach it in this calm way, confident way, the other person typically kind of meets you where you're at. So I do think doing the work up front on self-care, on your mindset, and then practicing. I mean, you know, I I wasn't this good back, you know, I hate to say how many years, but many years ago (laughs) that I am now. And it, you know, it's a skill that builds over time, I think.
0: So we have a few questions that we ask all of our guests here on Life Rebalance. So we would like to to ask you, I'm very excited to hear your answers to things because I know you have some big things going on right now. Um, so what is the most important thing that you're focusing on right now, realizing that there are many things that you know require your attention, but really there's one thing that's going to get the focus of it at this point in time?
2: I think the main thing that I'm focused on is really this idea of empowering women around their money psychology. And so I've developed a whole online training program for women who are interested in breaking money silence around negotiation. I would say it is something I am most passionate about. And it is something that, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, the downtime with COVID allowed me to develop what I've always wanted to develop. So that is something that I'm certainly passionate about. I guess the other thing that I want to put out there that's more on a personal note is I'm also working really hard at being more inclusive. So when I'm developing programming, thinking about women who don't necessarily look like me, who maybe have different backgrounds to make sure that my materials are inclusive, because I think we really all need to rise to that challenge as well. On that note,
1: that is a challenge for a lot of people and something a lot of people are interested in doing, being more inclusive but are there ways that you're giving yourself grace in other aspects or to focus on the big projects you're undertaking or that focus? Because a lot of us, I think, hesitate to be more inclusive because we're afraid of making a misstep.
2: I have done that for years. I have thought, what do I know? And I don't want to offend anybody. So I'm going to avoid this conversation to be very transparent. And I would say in the past couple of years, so before what's been going on currently with the racial tension, I have connected with a few of my African-American colleagues and other people of color, and I've started to ask them some of the questions that I wanted to ask them. And I have put my money where my mouth is, so to speak, in that I have a commitment with my podcast, Breaking Money Silence, to make sure that for 2021, 50% of my guests are people of color. And I'm happy to say I have had the most rich conversations because I'm doing pre-recording right now and have learned so much. And 99% of the people have been very graceful with me if I have messed up. And so I think for me, in terms of developing this new content and also the inclusiveness... I think the grace, which is a great question because I don't often think this way, the grace that I'm providing myself is to let go of a hard deadline as to when it has to get done and also give myself permission to learn along the way as opposed to feeling like, oh, I'm an expert. I have to know everything right now. And so... Yeah, I think that comes a little bit with age too, of just kind of leaning into that process of learning. And it's the beauty of being an entrepreneur.
0: We have to be willing to learn right now, quite frankly. One of the worst things, in my opinion, that we can do is not engage because we're afraid of doing the wrong thing. I can speak for myself, at least in this, like with the tendency to want to be a perfectionist on things, we will not be perfect and we'll make mistakes along the way. I and mean, we have to be willing to if we're ever going to truly affect change. If we just want to be perfect, that's about our performance, right? That's not about, you know, truly helping to make change. And I love that you put your number out there. Like I will commit to having half of my guests be people of color. I think that's good that you're putting it out there, making the statement and then, you know, following through on it. That's awesome.
2: Yeah. And I've also, in in terms of that 50%, it also includes people who are transgender, you know, different sexual orientations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I probably wanted to do it for years and just never really, because of my white privilege, really sat down and calculated the numbers and then realized, wow, I thought I was doing a lot better. I was at like 19% of my guests. And I said, I can do much better than that. So I think no matter where you're working, whether it's working on negotiation, whether it's working on being inclusive... It's really, and it's hard to do if you're, I'm a recovered perfectionist. It's really giving yourself an opportunity to connect in a real way and let go of that perfectionism because that's actually makes for a better conversation. you learn a lot more. Life is a little less stressful if you are able to do that. So
0: right now with this new endeavor that you have, it's called the Learning Lab. Can you talk to us a little more specifically about this project that you've you've had the opportunity to work on during COVID? As you (laughs) said, Um, I'd love to hear more about it and how, you know, it might benefit us as advisors. It might benefit our listeners. What can you tell us?
2: So the Breaking Money Silence Learning Lab is actually a collection of courses that are on demand and they involve a different level of commitment. So there is a free course that anybody can check out called How to Conquer Your Fear of Negotiating. You can participate in that by signing up with the community and get a sense of what it's about. There are also courses that I am developing, one that's done called Breaking Money Silence on Negotiation, which we referenced today. And eventually, there will be a whole suite which really addresses not just negotiation, but also our money story, our money psychology, and very much developing it with a female entrepreneur service professional in mind. The other piece that I'm doing is, because I am so connected and I still work a tremendous amount with advisors, training them and coaching them, is I'm also figuring out how to package this in a way that advisors can then gift it to their clients. Because I know advisors want to help their women clients with all sorts of different skills, but often don't have the time because of so much you need to do in terms of the financial planning. And so this would be a way to be able to offer that to clients without having to provide that service themselves. And then my long-term, because you know I'm an entrepreneur with always a long-term goal, if this is successful, then I will also start a suite for advisors called Breaking Money Silence Learning Lab, and there'll be an advisor portal. So I have big plans. (laughs) I love big
1: plans. Big plans are a good thing. Kathleen, thank you so much. And where can our listeners find out more about getting access to these courses if they're interested or connecting and following what you're doing?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at KBK Speaks. If you want to go to the website, go to breakingmoneysilence.com. And there's actually a tab that says Learning Lab and you can check out the Learning Lab there. And I just love connecting with people and hearing stories. So don't hesitate to reach out and connect. And let me know what's going on for you. And I appreciate this opportunity to reconnect with both of you.
0: Oh, so do we. Trust us. How can people follow you on social media? Where's the best place to find you?
2: Twitter is where I hang out the most. So at KBK Speaks. I also am on LinkedIn. Full name. It's long. Sorry. At Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. And I occasionally am on Instagram. If you want to see some of the things that I do in my personal life, like mountain biking, kayaking. And I love wine, but apparently there's a lot of beer pictures there right now. You're living that Vermont life. That, that is what it is. I am. I am supporting my local brewer.
0: <laughs> and as we close out, I would like you to leave our listeners with, if you could think of one habit or system that you've been working on right now and you say has been instrumental to the work you're doing at the moment, pushing out this new online course, which is a, really a new endeavor for you and I think is super cool. What would
2: that be? So it's delegating. One of the things that has allowed me to get from being a entrepreneur that's working by myself and being able to be out there teaching, training, and developing material is that I need a fair amount of time. So I have a wonderful team around me of virtual assistants who are really loyal, who each have really helped me in different ways. And one in particular has really helped me develop this particular learning lab. So if you are hesitating on actually getting some support and investing in delegating your business, I would really encourage you to do it. It has catapulted my business tremendously in the last five years. Got to be willing to invest in yourself. Everyone's talking about the market and what it's doing right now, but
0: you have to be willing to invest in yourself as well. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's so nice to hear your voice. I'm signing up for your Negotiating Lab when we get off of this call. So thank you so much for sharing it with us and with our listeners. And hopefully we can all be better negotiators and advocate for ourselves going forward.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have had this conversation and just dare to break money silence. Be well.